0: Hey guys, I'm Lead Pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. About 10 years ago, uh, Megan and I were leading a small group and, uh, we had two single people in our small group named Jack and Jill. We'll call them Jack and Jill. That was not their names. We'll call them Jack and Jill. Uh, both Jack and Jill were divorced, though they had different stories. And one day, as we kind of noticed, like Jack and Jill seemed to be taking a bit of an interest in one another. And one day, they came to us as their small group leaders, and they said, "Hey, we're interested in in dating. Would you guys um, like? We want to be under your guidance and your kind of just like spiritual lead as we would embark on a dating relationship." I thought, wow, that's a really, like, kind of mature thing to do, you know? Um, uh, and so we said yes. And, um, you know, each of their stories were different. Uh, she came out of a, a marriage where there was spousal abuse, and she fled the marriage uh, to avoid abuse. Uh, in, in his case, he had, um, he had uh, cheated on his first wife and then uh, married his mistress, um, who then left him. Because that's what mistresses do, isn't it? And um, and then and was divorced a second time. So um, I, I tell this story uh, because that was the first time that I had really considered what do I think about divorce and what do I think about divorce and remarriage. I also tell this story to just put some flesh on the idea that that like one divorced person's story is not necessarily exactly the same as another divorce person's story. Do you know what I'm saying? And so uh, that was the first time that I ever really considered what the Bible had to say about divorce. We engaged in a conversation um, with them about it. It was really hard and difficult. And it was um, not until months later, after an initial kind of blow up in relationship, where they came back to us and said, Thank you. Thank you for turning us to the scriptures for guidance. Um, but it was really hard, and I, I know that this topic, I, I just imagine some of us are squirming already this morning, you know. And uh, frankly, I'm squirming, not, not particularly excited about teaching on this passage. Um, and I guess maybe that's why I keep thinking about the goodness of God and how I want to be able to see his goodness. Because sometimes when we get to difficult passages like this, it, it's like, oh, dang. You know, knowing that some of us have been divorced and are remarried, and every one of those has a different story. You know, many of us, like all of us probably, have a loved one who's experienced divorce, and so this is just, like, not a topic that doesn't have, like, heart behind it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we've all felt this, you know, and I just, man, I would want to say this morning, I, would, I hope that you would trust me this morning because I know that we can trust God with our stories, you know, and, and this is, like, I would just start by saying If you're squirming this morning, like, um, it's safe here because God's safe. And we're going to come to the gospel message together this morning. And I I guarantee you that there will be life for us. There'll be goodness for us no matter what we find. So thanks for sticking in it with me. Um, You know, and I do think that this is an important teaching of Jesus um, as it relates to the, the great institution of marriage. And, of course, we know that marriage has a huge impact on the nuclear family which I think is one of God's designs for human flourishing, right? To see right, good, healthy marriages and healthy, thriving nuclear families. So I I do think that though this passage is difficult, it leads us towards God's good design, his perfect design for marriage and, and the nuclear family. So we can trust that this teaching is good for us. It's intended to cause good, not harm, even though the words may be difficult. But while today's teaching is important, I miss if I did not emphasize that today's teaching is not primary. Let me let me explain what I mean by that. Um, so faithful Christians throughout time have held different beliefs on what God's Scripture teaches in regards to the biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage. And, and look, I mean, honestly, I've studied like crazy. The, the last couple weeks, trying to make sure I got it right, understood clearly. I didn't want to be wishy-washy when I stood up here with you, but I also didn't want to boldly proclaim something that was not God's good intent for your lives. And I can tell you right now, this is really hard and difficult to completely understand, especially when you play out all the ramifications. So um, to be honest, I'm not sure that I can give the ideal teaching of this passage I will be honest with you. And so I'm thankful and just want to make it clear that this passage is not salvific, meaning like the teaching in this passage, while it's important, you can be a Christian while still disagreeing and having a variance of opinion on this particular matter, right? And, um, you know, I'm leaning heavily today on, um, on some people that are smart, you know, and I've held up this book before. The, the book of Matthew, we've been studying for a while. I've been leaning heavily on this commentary. That's Frederick Dale Bruner, Freddie B, as you've heard me call him before. And then uh, this is another book by David Instone Brewer um, that's, that's kind of been seen recently as a really um, impactful voice on the conversation in the church. So I would hold those up as well. I also, you know, um, Megan mentioned Confluence. Um, Travis Aiklin is the leader of Confluence California, the lead pastor at Radiant Church. Um, I've leaned heavily on his teaching on this particular passage. Uh, If you're familiar with Pastor John Mark Comer, he had some uh, really great stuff to say about this issue. Pastors like John Piper and maybe even a a Bible teacher that you're familiar with, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. So uh, hopefully what I've done today is kind of compile some of what I've learned. Uh, But I do understand that you may, as hard as I'm going to try to lead you to what I believe is um, orthodox, historical, uh, Christian faith in this passage. Um, You know, and and as hard as I'm going to try to be faithful to the whole counsel of Scripture, I just want to acknowledge that marriage and divorce is like, uh, we would call it like maybe, maybe something that, a declaration that should be written by me at least in ink, or maybe even pencil. This isn't, this isn't a blood issue where If you don't agree with me on this, you're out of the church, you're out of the faith altogether. Does that make sense? It's super important. I think we should be diligent in our study, but it is not a blood issue. So uh, with that being said, I I think one of the great sub-teachings today, because every time we approach the Bible, we're saying something about what we believe about the Bible. There's no way around it, you know. I don't preach a lot of sermons about what we believe about the Bible. I try to demonstrate what we believe about the Bible through good, sound teaching. You know what I'm saying? So one of the sub-teachings today is, I think, about how we submit our lives to the authority of Scripture. It's one thing to say we want to be submitted to the authority of Scripture, but how do we do that? You know, when we come to a difficult text like this one today, how do we study it? And then how do we apply it to our lives? Oftentimes, I, I, will, I will tell you this, oftentimes, though fundamentalists will try to make you think that things are black and white all the time in scripture, there are things in scripture that are not black and white, at least to our understanding at this point in time. Now, thankfully, the most important stuff in scripture is very clear. And we know that our salvation, for example, is not of our own works, but because of what God's done and his gift of grace to us. And we have access to him, not through performance, but through faith in the atoning work of Jesus. That's pretty black and white, but Jesus' teaching here on marriage and and divorce and remarriage uh, is is something that we need to have a little bit of flexibility with. So uh, one of the key tools is looking at, uh, I I think, two tools for reading Scripture that I want to put before us before I get too far today. The first one is context, looking at the context of the passage. And then the second one is not just being—sometimes when you go verse by verse through the Bible, you can make the mistake of looking at each each passage— like with blinders on and staring at just that passage. So we want to look at that passage closely, but we also want to see it within the lens, the broader story of the entire Bible, right? So if we see one thing that Jesus says here, and it seems to maybe contradict what Jesus taught elsewhere, we should consider that. You see what I'm saying? So we don't want to zoom in so close that we only see the trees and we miss the forest, okay? So context and then the, the larger council of scripture will really be our friends today. So in terms of context, Jesus has already taught on the issue of marriage's inseparability. If you have your Bibles, just go to Matthew 5. This was actually January 8th, I think, or the first Sunday in January of 2022, the day I met Jared Deaver. We had just moved into this building. And what do you know? That's where we were at in, in the book of Matthew. It's like, wow, this is an incredible strategy for not planting a successful church. Just start talking about Jesus' teaching on divorce. Anyway, so Jesus has already taught in his lifetime. Matthew's recorded his teaching on the inseparability of marriage. Matthew 5, 31 and 32, two verses is all that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it says. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So uh, likely what's happened here is the Pharisees have heard this previous teaching. Okay, so here we are, Matthew chapter 19. Um, It's likely that they've heard his prior teaching. And, And we are going to stand and read the scripture just a minute here. Um, I wanted to start before we read the scripture together. i got to soften your hearts before we get to the, the out loud words of God. So it's likely that the Pharisees have heard Jesus teaching about this. And so the, the scripture says in verse 3 that they come to him to test him. Okay? So read it for yourself. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to him at, and to test him. Sorry. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Notice uh, those last few words. I think we've got to read to the end of the sentence to really get what's going on here. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So, this is the context that we find ourselves in here. We got to understand those last few words for any and every reason. See, at this time in uh, Judea, in Israel, uh, there was a debate taking place uh, between. Uh, two rabbinic schools of thought, and it was all over the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Again, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Deuteronomy 24, okay? I'm going to be quoting a lot of different passages, Old Testament and New today, Um, so I'll kind of give the short version, but the text in Deuteronomy 24 says that if a married man finds a cause of indecency about his wife, he can present her with a certificate of divorce, So there were two camps, two rabbinic schools of thought at this time. The first camp was the Hillelites, and the Hillelites followed the rabbi Hillel, and they believed that this passage uh, taught that a man could divorce his wife for any cause, right? If a man finds a cause of indecency. So they took the route. Any cause was valid grounds for divorce. Bad cooking, an unclean house, a bad hair day. Literally, any reason divorce could happen at the whim of the man in that situation. That's what the Hillelites believed. The Shemaites help me, again, if you don't know how to pronounce things, you just go boldly, confidently, <laughs> through them. The Shemites believed that this passage referred to adultery, not any cause. So, uh, I think that this is where... Um, you know, as I'm leaning heavily on the work of David Enstone Brewer in that book that I just showed you, um, the, the Shamaites believe that adultery was one of the three permissible grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. Okay, so I'll get to that a little bit more in just a second. But with this context, let's jump into the passage. Can you guys stand? We're 12 minutes in here and the ball has only been set on the tee. That's all right, We're doing good. I think we're going to we're going to make it we're going to make it. So let's let's read together here Matthew 19 7 through 12 it should say. So why then they asked did I don't know how thankful you sounded there. <laughs> verse 10 is good. Yes, verse 10. We'll get there, babe. Verse 10 is good. So let's, let's start where I think this conversation starts, and that's with the Old Testament's stance on divorce. Now remember what happened the last time I preached the start of this passage. Jesus, his first response to the Pharisee's question about divorce is not to talk about divorce, but it's to go back to page one of the Bible, the Genesis account, and he talks about what is marriage. You come to me asking about divorce, I'm going to talk to you about what God's design for marriage was. So if you missed two weeks ago, you could jump on the podcast and give it a listen. Okay, so in verse 7, uh, uh, they ask, okay, so if this is the way it is, if, if you know, the last thing he said is, uh, let man not separate what God has joined together. And they say, well, if this is the way it is, Then why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus' reply, notice the word change. Moses permitted, not commanded. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Again, referring back to the Genesis account, the way marriage was created in the perfect Eden before the fall. So permitted versus commanded. This is often what happens when lies are made that attack Jesus' good teaching, that attack the good law of the Lord. Words get twisted. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Moses commanded it. Jesus says, oh, no, Moses did not command it. He permitted it, right? So God's ideal, his design for marriage was inseparability. It was insoluble. This was God's good design. And I I don't think this is hard for any of us to, like, recognize, right? I mean, none of us stood at the altar on our wedding day and thought anything but, I hope this lasts forever. It's painful and, uh, like, disheveling to experience divorce. Nobody wishes divorce on anyone. So we understand this. God's ideal, his design was inseparable marriage. But it is true to say um, that though it was designed to be um, inseparable, it's not always uh, inseparable. And the, the phrase, let what God has joined together, let no man separate, does not mean that marriage cannot be separated. We've already learned that with the issue of the certificate of divorce. Jesus doesn't say there's no such thing as divorce, which is what you might expect him to say, right? One flesh. That was God's good vision for marriage. And he doesn't say that it's inseparable. He does say what God has joined together, let no man separate, meaning God's good design is that marriage would not be separated. So here's the first, the first question you might ask is, why, why did the Old Testament allow divorce certificates? The answer is right here in this passage. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were hard. So divorce is the result of our sinful condition. And we we probably just all agree that divorce is the result of two sinful people trying to make life together work. This is this is though like was a revolutionary and very important idea in ancient times, especially when you consider the patriarchal society that they lived in. Right. Who has the power in a divorce? Mostly the male. Right. In that time when you needed a spouse just to really survive, it would have been a death sentence to a female to be left by her husband and not have the opportunity to take on a new husband. So we see here the protection of women. And again, the Bible, uh, twisting of words, the Bible's under attack for being anti-woman, is it not? But the Bible is not anti-woman. The whole design of the divorce certificate, the concession that was made, was uh, to protect women. Also, I found this interesting. In Stone Brewer says, and I, I did not read every verse of the Old Testament in the last two weeks, um, to, to fact check this, but uh, evidently, according to Brewer, there's not a single verse in the Old Testament that condemns divorce, okay? And we'll talk about that, but in fact, in, in Exodus 21, 20, uh, 10 through 11, 21, 10 through 11, um, we seem to have uh, the gold standard for the Jewish view of uh, wedding vows or uh, marriage vows. Um, so in that passage, Uh, we see that Jewish marriage vows were based on uh, the commitment to provide food to one another. Typically, the male would harvest the food, the female would prepare it. And then to clothe one another, again, typically, the male would raise funds or bring in the material, and the woman would sew or whatever was needed with the material, she would make it. And then thirdly, to provide conjugal love. Okay, if you don't know what conjugal means, just know that it'll make my kids blush if I give the definition. So these were like the three vows that Jewish marriage was predicated upon. The, um, the idea of provide the, this a common agreement to feed, clothe, and provide conjugal love. Um, so what was a divorce certificate? A, a divorce certificate was only the legal acknowledgement of a marriage that was already broken. See, the practice in that time was was at times men could just leave. They could just abandon their family, and then the, the wife was left to take care of the family with, again, not a husband, to do the things that husbands did in that time and place. So by pre- presenting the wife who'd been left by her husband with the certificate of divorce, she was allowed, by virtue of that certificate, to remarry. So one of the uh, things that Instone Brewer uh, highlights is that we didn't know a lot about divorce certificates until recently, as these have been uncovered in the last 100 years uh, by archaeology. And uh, those divorce certificates specifically say that there's a freedom granted. That's the whole point of divorce. Otherwise, you just have separation, which is not the legal acknowledgement. So the whole point of a divorce certificate was to pro- provide this freedom uh, to remarry. Now, some of you are thinking you've read your Bibles. I, Christians say this all the time. Um But what about that verse that says, God hates divorce? Anybody ever heard that passage? Yeah. And and maybe some of you, probably a lot of us, could agree that we also hate divorce. I don't know if anyone's like, I love it. You know, divorce is awesome. It was my intent from the very beginning. (laughs) Like, nobody, nobody thinks that, do they? So, yes, God hates divorce. But the context of this passage in Malachi 2 is that of an unfaithful husband. See, what God really hates is the sin that leads to broken marriage. This is what God hates. Also, uh, this passage does not mean that God never permits divorce. This passage also doesn't mean, this is really important, if we're going to live outside of shame, God does not hate you if you've been divorced. You got to get that. God does not hate divorcees. That's not what this passage is saying. In fact... If you read your entire Bible, you'll know that God is a divorcee. God divorced Israel. You don't believe me? Look at Jeremiah 3. Now, last week I talked about how how marriage is uh, a symbol, right, of our union to Christ. Marriage is a pointer to God's covenant with us. So there's a lot of marriage language that's used in the Old Testament to refer to the way God relates to his people. In Jeremiah 3, it says that, God, after much patience with Israel, finally said, your hearts are hard, you fail to repent, and you keep on acting in marriage-breaking ways, and so I divorce you. So this is powerful. Even God has experienced divorce. So now as the passage continues, we'll see that God, uh, he declares to his prophet Jeremiah that he will gladly take Israel back what do they have to do? The same thing that any of us have to do in order to have relationship with God. Repent, soften our hearts, confess our sin, admit our adulterous ways. So for uh, a broad view of what divorce looks like in the Old Testament, we've got to understand that God not only permitted divorce in Exodus, he actually committed a divorce himself. So this could kind of reframe some of the traditional ways. I don't know if some of you have grown up in you know, in a, in a faith setting, a Christian setting, where it was just like tried and true adult. Uh, I'm sorry, divorce is wrong unless there's been adultery, and that if you remarry somebody else, you're committing an adultery and making your ex-wife an adulterer. I think that there's. I think that there's more nuance to it. That's what I'm seeing as I study. But what Jesus was against, what Jesus is against, and what he's talking about specifically here in this passage. I believe, is any cause divorce, meaning there is a way and a time for divorce as a result of sin. Again, not God's good design, but it's not just any old reason that'll do. So let's go to the New Testament and what the New Testament has to say about divorce, and I think that that's what Jesus provides for us here in verse 9, 19 verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality— And marries another woman, commits adultery. So uh, Jesus said um, in Deuteronomy 24, um, he he says that that phrase, that the the rabbis were debating, the any cause phrase, he says that that meant a man could not divorce his wife for any cause, but only the adultery part. Jesus clarifies that teaching. Again, the teaching of the day, and you can see the easy way always runs rampant. That's always what happens, right? So Hillelite uh, divorce had taken control. It was the hottest thing in Israel. If your wife cooks a bad meal, doesn't clean the house, you just divorce her. No problem. Give her a marriage certificate and move on. <laughs> we are hopefully, hoping not to cause any divorces here this morning. <laughs> so Jesus is, is absolutely against this practice of any cause divorce. So hear me when I say that this morning. Jesus is absolutely against against this practice of any cause divorce. So what does the New Testament and divorce have to say? So um, this is what Jesus is saying. So although almost everyone was using this new type of divorce, Jesus told them that it was invalid. So if the divorce was invalid, it makes sense that remarriage would also be invalid because if you haven't been divorced and you sleep with somebody else, obviously you're committing adultery. Are you not? So again, my my personal conviction here is that Jesus embraced the Old Testament divorce law. So Jesus said, he said to us in the Sermon on the Mount, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. So in Jesus' life and ministry, we see the perfect fulfillment of the intended law of the Old Testament. And it also seems, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, again, not a ton of time to break down all these other texts, but Paul seems to embrace the Old Testament way in 1 Corinthians 7 as well. So if Jesus says that there is a time and a place, albeit very, very, very minimal for for divorce, then then when is divorce permissible? So let's take a look at what the scriptures say. First of all, we see here, divorce is permissible in cases of adultery. Okay? Um, Not any cause, but in the cause of adultery. When one partner has been unfaithfully uh, unfaithful sexually, we like marriage vows are broke broken. In fact, that's one translation of the word adultery is breaking marriage, because that's what adultery does, two or one. So when you bind yourself to somebody else sexually, there's a separation that takes place, or there's a binding that happens to somebody else. So divorce is permissible according to Jesus according to adultery. That's not controversial at all, right? I think we all read Jesus' teaching. That's a very conservative position. On divorce. The second we hear from Paul, uh, that's abandonment. So, adultery, we learn, is a permissible reason for divorce. Abandonment is also a permissible reason for divorce. So, Paul said, if, uh, see, what the Romans were practicing was what you would call separation. They would just leave if they didn't like um, a marriage. And the Roman law read that if you just left, if there was a separation, then eventually it became legal. Okay, but Paul said, you know, if that happens to you, You need to have an official divorce to actually make it legal. Why? So that the woman can go on and receive care and support for her family. So abandonment is another reason. Again, this is very conservative, like old school teaching about what the Bible says about divorce. Adultery and abandonment. Almost nobody in Christian circles disagrees with those two reasons um, for divorce. Uh, The third, I think... And uh, according to what Instone Brewer says, is the idea of abuse. If there's abuse, now that, that makes sense to us rationally, right? I mean, it, it makes sense that there's an abuser in a relationship. The other spouse, <laughs> sorry, the other spouse should be able to leave the relationship. That makes sen- sense rationally. But we have to be careful about what makes sense rationally, right? We submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture sometimes in ways that aren't rational. Right? Like, for example, giving away your money. That's not very rational, is it? Why do we do it? Because we trust God's good design for us. So just that, that making sense to us that, yeah, of course you leave a marriage if there's abuse. Um, we have to be careful that we would act just on rational grounds. But this, this idea comes from Exodus 21, uh, 10 and 11, what I already quoted. It's just that food, clothing, and marital rights are the three vows that were important uh, to the Jews and how they considered marriage, and it says in that in that passage, if he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Okay, so adultery, abandonment, and abuse. So, are there any like? Can you get divorced for any reasons according to the teaching of Jesus? No, only three very specific reasons. Uh, and, and again, I did give that caveat that the third abuse. Do you know that there are some Christians? Who would, who would say and believe that even when there's abuse, you cannot have divorce because God's law does not allow it? So that would be a little bit like, if I could say, it might be a bit of a liberal take on. Uh, I know I almost always present a conservative position, but I think there's good reason in Scripture um, for this third reason of uh, abuse being allowable reason for divorce. So key question that follows. Well, what about remarriage? OK, what about remarriage after divorce? And Jesus Jesus addresses this one, and it can almost be like a boom, hammer on the head uh, kind of verse. But again, I want to make sure we read it in context. So he says that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. So that's powerful. If we just take that, boom, zoomed in, that's like pretty damning. That would mean that any of you that are remarried after a divorce are committing adultery and then evidently continuing to commit adultery. Right. So this is uh, it's the most damning sentence. So we need to really make sure that we understand it. And I think it makes sense if we understand the context here. The Pharisees are coming to Jesus to test him and say, hey, this is the debate between Hillel and Shammai. What side are you on in this debate? Right. They've already heard Jesus teach what he thinks about marriage and divorce. So they're really zooming in here, and they're trying to get him to respond pro- probably so that he could be on the outs with one side or the other, right? And I'm, I'm assuming that they, they may even have known that he would take the side of Shammai, and the, the Hillel side was way bigger camp. And so potentially they're trying to lead him, they're trying to trap him almost into his, you know, untimely death, Um by trapping him on the wrong side of a, of a cultural issue. Evidently, there was cancel culture even in Jesus's day. <laughs> so again, I think that Jesus is responding very specifically here. Um, and I, I'm backed up by the research of, of Instone Brewer here. Um, and, and, and even, um, even Bruner agrees as well with this. And, and Bruner is a conservative theologian, not liberal at all. Um, so I think it's helpful here. It really helps to explain like, oh, that's why Jesus said it. It'd be kind of like this. Imagine if we all asked, like, so my, my son Gunner, he just turned 17. Is it lawful for Gunner to drink? No. no. His, gra- his grandma just said no, right? <laughs> that's right. It is n- no. Oh, but what kind of drink are we talking about? You assumed alcohol, did you not? And so I think that's a bit what's happening here in this debate. When you take us out of the cultural context, sometimes you make assumptions that may or may not be what was actually happening here. Okay, and again, so that's why as we zoom in, we have to back up, zoom out, I think, look at the whole counsel of Scripture um, as we decipher these things. So, geez, uh, Gunner, no, you may not drink, only water. You can drink water. It's lawful for you to do so. And, and copious amounts of Gatorade, yes. Uh, so, again, essentially, you guys, Jesus is condemning very strongly any cause divorce. Hey, did you know that there, there used to not be such a thing as any cause divorce? Um, and now, what do we call this now? I think it's called no-fault divorce. This is like the only type of divorce that exists in our day, day and age. Why? Because it's really difficult to prove legally a lot of the other grounds for divorce, right? So any cause divorce, because it's so convenient, has become the default. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus was out there teaching against any cause divorce, saying so extremely that if you divorce your wife for this any cause reason and want to later get married again you're actually committing adultery you've not been divorced to her so here's the question uh, we've been asking about remarriage right you got to like apply this stuff I can't just say divorce is wrong and then not give you any context or any way to build any application right so who can remarry according to the teaching of scripture okay so I believe that the Bible allows for remarriage uh, in three uh, situations. So if you are, first of all, a victim of divorce, meaning that you didn't want to get divorced, but your spouse divorced you. You're the victim of divorce. Again, I think Exodus 21 says that if your spouse um, has, uh, has decided that divorce is what they want, then um, you are the victim of divorce in that case. Uh, you can't do anything about it. 1 Corinthians 7 says that if your spouse has left you, they've decided to leave you. You have no choice to reconcile with them. They've decided to leave you. You're the victim of divorce. And then, of course, in Matthew 19, you're the victim of divorce if your spouse has cheated on you, has been unfaithful to you. So these would be, I believe, uh, permissible grounds for divorce and also valid reasons for remarriage. A second reason for being able to remarry after a divorce is if you are a valid divorcee. This is what God was in the Old Testament, well, you know, God was patient with Israel. He forgave them over and over and over again. He was long-suffering with them. He took their abuse. He watched as they went and worshiped other gods and lived according to their own desires. But finally, he recognized their hardness of hearts, and he's like, enough is enough, and he divorced Israel. So if you are a valid divorcee, you've lived in a relationship where there's unrepentant sin, and the breaking of your marriage vows this makes you a valid divorcee i believe and and therefore if you have a valid divorce i believe you can have a valid remarriage and then the third situation for who can remarry would be if you've experienced an invalid divorce but now where you sit you see your sin you see your errors and you repent and, and this is like, this just goes along with the gospel message, that there's always forgiveness when we repent. Now, again, this third way, this third, um, you know, condition for being able to remarry, this would be the most, quote-unquote, progressive-slash-liberal of my stances today. The first two are not that, uh, the, the first two are very conservative. But the third is that if you're an invalid divorcee who's come to repentance, and here's the key, when you come to repentance— your first action is to take any means possible to reconcile your relationship. See, this pro- is my problem or my challenge to my friend, Jack. I said, Jack, you, you had a divorce from your first wife. And why did you have a divorce? Because you were unfaithful. So how did you show your repentance for that behavior? You married your mistress. That's not repentant behavior, is it? Now, this is not everybody's story in divorce, but again, I tell the story to illustrate there are some reasons for divorce, and there are a lot of reasons for not divorcing. There are more reasons for sticking around and trying to work it out. You know, Brandon and Cassie, he prayed this morning, listen to their story sometime. They decided to give it a go again, and they're sitting here married, not because they gave up or thought of all the reasons why they could have been divorced, praise God, right, for his testimony in your life. And everything's perfect now, I'm sure, right? Everything's perfect. (laughs) Love you guys. Yeah, I'm glad you guys gave it another go. So there's grace when we repent. Listen, we we have to, there's always grace when we repent. There is always grace when we repent. And some of you today, you're, you're sitting looking next to the person next to you, and you're trying to figure out, was my, was my divorce valid? Look, we can repent of past behavior and find grace in Jesus. This is the overarching story that, that is painted over the entire biblical story. I also just want to give you great comfort. The Apostle Paul teaches, if you're sitting there, you know, married to somebody right now, you've maybe both been divorced or one of you has been divorced, God's call is not for you to now divorce the spouse that you have. Maybe that's obvious, it's very rational, but the Apostle Paul actually taught that because it was a debate. In, in uh, Paul's letter to the first, uh, in First Corinthians, he says, you, you stay in the situation that you find yourself in. Here's the thing. Marriage is always something that we should fight to protect. The marriage that you're in right now is God's marriage for you. Stay in it. You hold fast to your wife. That's what it says in the Genesis account. Hold fast to your wife. So conclusion. God's original design for marriage was, was to take two humans, Remember, it's really important that it's a male and a female. And bind them together through sexual intimacy into one flesh. His design was for them to hold fast to one another, providing for one another's physical and emotional needs through thick and thin. This was God's design. It was also designed to be a symbol of God's relationship with us, his covenant to us, his covenant faithfulness. It says in Ephesians 5, "...for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife." And the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, Paul says. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So marriage is a picture of our marriage to Christ. His design for marriage was that it would be inseparable. Inseparable, I think is the right way to say that. That was his design. But of course, sin has affected everything under the sun. And marriage is just one of those things. And so we have the reality in our world of what to do with a marriage that's been broken. And so Jesus teaches that Moses permitted the certificate of divorce as a way of protecting a marriage that was broken. So the main teaching this morning, you guys, hear me on this. Don't walk out of here and say, Noel just said that we can get divorced. That's not what I just said, and that's not what Jesus just said. And isn't that exactly the way Satan—this is always the way Satan works. When you give people grace, Satan says, if you give people grace, they'll run right out of here, and they'll live these, like, lascivious lifestyles, right? Did I say that word right? Lavish, just, like, sinful, debaucherous. This is always the lie of Satan. If you give people grace, watch what they'll do. They'll do all kinds of bad stuff. But that's not the truth of the gospel, because grace— Leads us to obedience. We find that through obedience to Jesus, that's where our true freedom is found. So again, my main teaching this morning is that if you're married, you should do everything possible to stay married. You should provide for one another, both physically and emotionally. You should, get this, forgive one another. Remember, chapter 18, Jesus' great teaching on forgiveness. How many times do you have to forgive your wife? Seven times 70. That's a whole lot of times that forgiveness can take place. Jesus doesn't just say, because a wrong has been committed, you have to divorce your wife. You have to divorce your husband. No, forgiveness is our first answer. Okay? And then lastly, repenting of our own sin and failure to love like Christ uh, would love is like, I'm sorry, repenting of our own sin is like one of our responsibilities in marriage. Your marriage will not survive if you don't learn to repent of the things that you've done against your wife. So this is the main teaching this morning. But sometimes marriage is broken, and I believe that Jesus offers a or permits a, a secondary response. All right, I'm going to figure out how to make this a little bit shorter at this time. So let's... um. Let's take a look at Jesus, how he wraps up this conversation. Megan was laughing at verse 10 in this conversation. In verse 10, what we see is Jesus finishes this discussion by elevating singleness. It's pretty interesting because singleness was not elevated in that day and place. In fact, Jews believed that they had to marry, that it was lawful they had to marry. Um, They believed that they were not fulfilling the the creation mandate um, to be fruitful and multiply if they did not marry. So Jesus comes into this culture, and he says, the, disi- the, the disciples, um, well, he elevates singleness. Watch how he does this. The disciples said to him, man, if we can't just get divorced for any reason, then why would anybody want to get married? This is too difficult. Can anybody relate? You know, it's like, good grief. Why did I sign up for this? It's a it's hilarious statement by Jesus' disciples, but again, you have to remember the culture that they're living in. Any cause divorce was the main thing in Jewish culture. And then the Roman world that was also part of their context was just saying, hey, if you don't like your wife anymore, you just separate from her. But Jesus says in response, yeah, marriage, it's, it's not for everyone. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't get married. That's Jesus' exact response. Look at verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. See, the point I think Jesus is making is that not everyone has to marry. Again, revolutionary. Can you think of some godly men in the Bible who did not marry? (laughs) Jesus, maybe. The Apostle Paul, John the Baptist, prophets in the Old Testament. So not everyone has to marry. Jesus validated the single life. If you're single here today. You're not a second-class citizen. You you get full access to the body of Christ. This is revolutionary. We kind of, Christians, sometimes we like elevate marriage almost to a godlike level. We almost worship and idolize marriage sometimes. Jesus didn't. Jesus says, ah, you think that marriage is the only way to be. There's actually, single's not that bad. Single's not that bad. In fact, some have been made single because they had no choice. Some were born in, in such a way that they were dysfunctional sexually. And then others decide to be um, celibate for the sake of the kingdom. I wonder if any of you would be called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. But if, you, if that's your decision, you're not a second-class citizen. You're just a lot like Jesus. So uh, all this is pretty technical, and I, I, don't, I don't necessarily feel like my strong suit is preaching uh, technical sermons like this. So thanks for sticking with me. I, I hope it's been helpful, at least to get you to think about what you think about, getting you to think about what the Bible says and how we read the Bible. But, but that being said, in response this morning, I, I'm going to have Mike come up here and, and we're going to stand and we're going to worship like we always do. Um, but I just, I, just, I just know, like I was thinking about those of you who I know have experienced divorce and even remarriage. And, and I, I was thinking about, you know, man, I love these people. Like, what's the main point? Like, what what is there for these for these folks who I love so much? You know, and I know that some of us are walking through maybe um, difficulty in marriage. Like right now, like you're sitting next to somebody who you're like, ah, marriage is like going really hard right now. How do we how do we stay married in a, in a way that's healthy? You know, and um, I, I just can I can I have permission to bring us back to the gospel, the good news about Jesus. See, the gospel teaches us that there's There's never been a sermon about anyone but me. Some of us are sitting here like, yeah, those people over there, they shouldn't get divorced. Him over there, he shouldn't get divorced. The gospel teaches us that that the Bible points out our sin. It's always about us. If we're pointing fingers to the person next to us, this message is about us this morning. See, the gospel shows us that we're in a desperate position with God. Whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, or remarried, the truth of the gospel is that all of us have sinned. No one in this room right now hasn't out their own ability. The other truth, though, is that no one in this room right now has out God's grace. His grace is for us. But look, we've all broken our vows to God, so this message, it's for us. We all sit here equally today with a deep need to be reconciled to one another, daily, minute by minute, and to our Savior. So as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, I, I want to remind you of the body of Christ. This was $10. Somebody lost this. Sorry, I just saw it. Don't want that to get weird. <laughs> We're not taking money. There's no money on the communion table this morning. <laughs> the bread, remember the bread, you guys. Cool. The bread, uh, the bread reminds us of the body Jesus that was broken for us broken for all the ways that we couldn't get it right if you're sitting here in shame this morning feeling really guilty or ashamed condemned the body of Jesus was broken for you for me the blood of Jesus was poured out for all our sins all our abilities to not get it right all our adultery before God all the ways that we've made other things More important, all the ways that we've been unfaithful to him. His blood was poured out for that so that we might receive forgiveness. And that we might be cleansed through our confession. I just wanted to invite you, like, if you're feeling shame this morning, if you're feeling condemnation over your life this morning, I just want to invite you to come receive the good news, the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. His grace is for each of us this morning. His grace is so that we didn't have to get it all right. Even though we try, we never will get it all right. His grace is for us. Let's pray.